Well, good morning, and uh, great to see you all here today. My name is Warren, and Good Friday greetings to you all. Speaking of, of greetings, uh, walk into any news agency, and there you will no doubt find row after row after row of various kinds of greeting cards. Uh, what sort of greeting cards do you find there? Well, there's, of course, happy birthday cards, and there's uh, Mother's Day cards, and Father's Day cards and Retirement Day cards. There are christening cards and bar mitzvah cards and Valentine's Day cards. There are engagement cards and uh, wedding cards and anniversary cards and farewell cards and get well cards. And uh, being a, a Parramatta Eels supporter myself, the one that I'm most familiar with, sympathy cards. <laughs> and yet, all of these different kinds of cards really have one thing in common. They're all expressing a kind of love. And so it's interesting to look at the front of these cards to see there the pictures that are often used to express this love. There are hearts and flowers and hands holding hounds. There are funny jokes and cupids and, and rings. There are cute little teddy bears. There are people hugging. There is beautifully scripted writing. But one picture... One picture you'll probably never see on the front of one of these greeting cards is the picture of a dead man, the picture of a corpse, or worse than that, the picture of a corpse hanging on a blood-stained cross, big thick nails through the man's hands and through his feet, a, a twisted crown of sharp thorns piercing the skin of this man's forehead. A freshly scourged man, his flesh ripped from his body, a gaping hole in his side where a spear had been thrust. Oh, it's an awful picture, isn't it? It's a, a hideous picture, a picture of torment, torture, death. And I'm sure you'd agree, a picture that's just not found on the front of your average hallmark greeting card as a way of expressing love. And so then, it is very, very interesting to read one little verse in the Bible which says the most extraordinary thing about love. It comes from a part of the Bible called 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. And this is what it says about love. It says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Now, just in case you missed it, let me repeat it, okay? Listen carefully. This is how we know love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Now that's an extraordinary statement, isn't it? That is a shocking statement. I mean, according to this verse, the only reason that anyone can know what love is is because a Jewish man named Jesus was executed as a criminal 2,000 years ago. How extraordinary. How shocking. I mean, I know what love is. I, I love my wife. I, I love my children. I love my parents. I love Yamcha. <laughs> I love the footy. I love the beach. I love the church. I love you all. <laughs> I know what love is. 
So how then can this verse claim that I can't really know love unless I first understand Jesus' death on the cross? What is it about his death that now gives it such an exclusive claim on love? Well, that's what I want us to think about this morning. I want us to think together about the kind of love that Jesus showed us in his death on the cross 2,000 years ago on that very first Good Friday. And in particular, there are three aspects of that love that I want us to consider today. The first of which is the cost. I want us to first think about the cost of Jesus' love for us on the cross. Of course, all love comes at a cost, doesn't it? At least any real life changing love. A cost to the person offering that love. That cost might come in the form of the sacrifice of money, the sacrifice of time, the sacrifice of effort. There might be an emotional cost or a cost to one's health. But wherever, wherever there is real life-changing love, there's always a cost. And so, for example, to stand up on a bus, to get off your seat, stand up to give your seat to a pregnant woman who's standing there beside you is really an act of love. There's a cost involved. You've now sacrificed your comfort for her. Now you'll have to stand up for the rest of the trip home. Now you're going to have to hold on to the grubby, germ-infested handrail for the rest of the trip. Now it's going to be a lot harder to play Angry Birds. But you bear that cost in an act of love for that pregnant woman. But what about if you saw that same pregnant woman crossing a road and saw that same bus tearing down the road out of control towards that pregnant woman? You, you see that pregnant woman is in serious danger and so in order to save her life and the life of her unborn baby, you decide in an instant to jump in front of that bus to push her out of the way and you take the hit for her. You sacrifice your life for her. Now that's love at a whole different level, isn't it? Why? Because now that the cost is far, far greater... In fact, Jesus himself once said, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. See, it's, great, it's greater love because it, it, it's greater cost. And so, friends, when we ask what did it cost Jesus when he died on the cross that first Good Friday, what kind of love did he show us then? Well, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2 tells us, it puts it, it puts it this way. It says, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What did it cost Jesus that first Good Friday? It cost him himself. In other words, he gave up everything for you and for me. But for us to get the full impact of this, we, we, we have to remember who Jesus is here. He's no ordinary man. He, he's the son of God. The creator of heaven and earth. The eternal God. 
And the cost he bore began when he gave up the glory and the perfection of heaven. When he put on all the limitations of flesh and blood to become a human like us. When he chose to come into a world full of sickness and hatred and death. When he allowed himself to be pursued by his enemies and falsely accused. The most innocent man ever found guilty by guilty people. The Son of God spat on, humiliated, mocked, stripped, beaten within an inch of his life. He endured the pain of the nails, he endured the agony of the thirst and the suffocation. And then worst of all, the Son of God bore the spiritual torment of the cross. When the eternally perfect relationship between Jesus and his heavenly Father was severed. As God's wrath, God's wrath towards sinners was poured out on his own Son. And in the end, he, the life giver, was left hanging lifeless. Yes, it's true. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the love. And friends, there has never, ever, ever been any greater sacrifice than the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. He bore the cost on the cross. And that cost has no equal, nor does his love. Friends, at the cross, Jesus gave himself for you and me. He held nothing back. And it's in that great cost that we begin to see something of the enormity of his love for you and for me. But then the cost is not the only means by which we can measure the depth of someone's love. There's also the matter of how deserving or undeserving that the loved one is. I'm sure that you would agree that real, true, deep love is ultimately all about the other person. It's ultimately all about what's best for them, uh, independent of whether they love you back or not. And so that's why we marvel when we hear stories of people caring for loved ones who are now incapacitated. People... We hear stories of people diligently caring for those people day after day after day, even though the ones they love can't do anything back for them anymore, can't do anything in return. We see that as extraordinary love, admirable love. Why? Because it's hard to keep loving someone when the love is just one-sided. And yet there's an even harder kind of one-sided love to offer. And that's when the other person is somebody who has hurt you deeply. Let me give you an example. Imagine if, uh, God forbid, one of my two children became seriously ill and and needed a, a kidney transplant to survive. Well, I can tell you right here and right now, that I would be the very first one to go up to the doctor and say, Doctor, here's my kidney. Take it. I want you to have it. I want you to use it. In fact, you know what? 
is a spare. You know why? Because you see, it's really rather easy to love my kids. They're really rather lovable. Most of the time, anyway. Some days I'd give away a kidney for them to just eat their vegetables, but that's, that's a whole different story. On the whole, my kids are pretty easy to love, which makes it pretty easy for me to sacrifice for them. But imagine for a moment that the person needing the kidney transplant was someone who had deeply offended me, someone who had seriously wronged me, someone who had intentionally hurt me or hurt someone that I love, without even a hint of remorse. What kind of love would it take for me to give my kidney to that kind of person? What kind of love would it take for me to still do what's best for them? Well, friends, we need to realise that it's that kind of love that God has shown you and me in the death of his son, Jesus, on the cross. Our second Bible reading this morning from Romans chapter 5 put it this way. It says, you see, at just the right time, When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, friends, it's it's why we were still sinners that Christ Jesus died for us. Why we were guilty and weak and helpless. Why, while we were rebelling against God and deserving of his just and holy wrath, it was then, in spite of all this, it was then that God gave his precious son to die that we might live. At the cross, Jesus, the innocent one, taking the place of sinners like you and me. Taking our punishment so that we could go free. Oh, what amazing, amazing love. You know, there are some people who try to play down, some people who try to minimise this this whole idea of us being unworthy sinners. You know, at the end of the day, all that that achieves is a minimising of God's extraordinary love for us. But his love is extraordinary because it is offered to unworthy sinners like us. But then there is a third and final way in which we can see the depths of someone's love. And that's seen in the the lavish generosity that flows from that love. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by lavish generosity? What do I mean by lavish love? You know, I think there's actually, it's actually an idea that's been beautifully illustrated in that that book or musical or movie, you take your pick, Les Miserables. You know that story? In it, there's this hardened ex-convict named Jean Valjean who just can't get a break in life. 
He's treated like an outcast everywhere he goes until one day he meets a priest. This priest takes him into his home and shows John Valjean great kindness. But then in the dead of the night, Jean Valjean sneaks through the priest's house looking for something to steal. The priest walks in on him, catches him in the act. You know what happens next? I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to show you. Here's a clip from the movie now. Let's have a look. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed (laughs) that you gave it to him. Yes? Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry! Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him! You're really letting me go. Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. Well, okay then, what do we see here? What, what, what do we see? First of all, we see love at a cost, don't we? Of course, now the priest, he's decided he's going to, you know, stick with his wooden spoons from now on. Uh, we've also seen a love that's undeserved, haven't we? Of course, that's obvious. Jean Valjean is completely unworthy. But notice here too that we see a, a love that is lavish from this priest, I mean, this priest goes way beyond just simply seeing Valjean set free, sent on his way. No, 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 no. For him, his love is lavish enough to see him sent away with a bag full of all the silverware that he's stolen. And more than that, with these expensive candlesticks as well. 
that he might now live a whole new life. It's an extremely powerful moment in the story and a moment that would indeed change Jean Valjean's life forever. Well, friends, when it comes to the love that Jesus has shown us at the cross, we need to see it it as a lavish, lavish love too. But a love that is way more lavish than, than just giving us silverware or candlesticks. Because you see, when Jesus died on the cross, he too didn't just forgive us of our sins and send us on our way. No, 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 no. For him, it was never good enough to to settle for a handshake and a bit of a truce with us. No, in his great love, he has now lavished upon us benefits beyond compare. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, in the Bible, it, it puts it this way. We read... How great, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. See, friends, when we put our trust in Jesus, not only are we forgiven of our sins, but we are also adopted into God's family and we receive all the benefits that come from that. In my family, I offer my kids some extraordinary benefits too. Benefits that I just don't offer to other people. I know it's a silly example, but when I eat my breakfast in the morning, when I'm eating my cereal, my three-year-old daughter has this habit of bounding on over to me, standing in front of me and boldly declaring, three bites, please. And do you know what I do? I share my wheat mix with her. I know my love is boundless. (laughs) And more often than not, three bites turns into four, then five. And then when she's had her fill, do you know what happens next? My one-year-old boy comes over and he stands in front of me. He doesn't say anything at all. He just goes... (laughs) But we all know what it means. And so I go through the whole process again. And before I know it, my breakfast is gone and I'm... Hungry for the rest of the morning. (laughs) But I don't care. I don't care. In fact, I love the fact that my children are so comfortable with me that they think, no, they know, that my food is their food. (laughs) That my home is their home. That everything I have is theirs. Chances are, however... I wouldn't be quite so indulgent if tomorrow morning you stood in front of me (laughs) while I'm eating my breakfast and boldly declare, three bites, please. I'm sorry, there's something just a little bit inappropriate about that. Something just a little bit weird. What are you doing in my house at 7am in the morning anyway? Call the police. But my kids have all kinds of lavish benefits because... They're in my family, they're my kids. My home is their home, all I have is theirs. But now, friends, at the cross, Jesus has shown us a love that is, is lavish like no other, a love that brings us into God's home. Not as his butlers or as his maids, but as his children, with all the amazing benefits that go with that. Benefits like 
like a doting heavenly father who delights in being with his kids. Uh, 24-7 access to him in prayer. The, The knowledge that he will never let anything happen to us, his children, that is not ultimately for our good. His loving, wise provision of all of our needs. And best of all, the promise of a glorious heavenly home with him forever. Wow, wow. You talk about lavish generosity. You talk about lavish love. It's amazing, it's extraordinary, and and it's all made possible by Jesus' death on the cross. And so, friend, can you see? Can you see why it is that the Bible can now make this extraordinary claim, this shocking claim that it does, that we can't actually know love unless we first understand and accept Jesus' death on the cross for us that first Good Friday? It's because in his death we see a costly, undeserved and lavish love that simply doesn't compare to any other. That's not to say that we don't occasionally get or give a taste of this kind of love in our best human relationships. It's just that as we've seen today, Jesus' love for us, it's at a whole different magnitude. So vastly higher, wider, deeper, truer than any other human love, such that without it, we can't even say that we know love. See, to say that we know love without first understanding and experiencing Jesus' life, you know what Jesus loved? Do you know what that's like? It's a bit like a Singaporean. A Singaporean saying that they know what cold is. (laughs) Because the temperature the other day dropped below 30 degrees Celsius. No. They will know what cold is when they spend a winter at the South Pole. Or it's like an Englishman saying that he knows what exquisite cuisine is. Because <laughs> he's just had the best fish and chips ever down at the local takeaway shop. No, he will know what exquisite cuisine is when he visits a three Michelin starred restaurant in Paris. Or it's like an Australian saying she knows what ancient history is. Because she once visited a 100-year-old pub down at the rocks. No, she will know what ancient history is when she goes and visits the great pyramids of Egypt. Or sees an ancient Aboriginal cave painting. Friends, the simple fact is Jesus' love for you and for me is of such great magnitude that it's only when we understand it, only when we experience it for ourselves that we will ever really know love. And so, friend, what should we do with all this? What should we do now? How should we respond to what we've heard this morning? Well, I think it's rather obvious, don't you? This morning we have heard about the love of God, the wonderful, magnificent love of God that is available to each and every one of us here today. Who doesn't want to be loved? Who doesn't want to be loved like this? What do we need to do today? 
Well, I think it's obvious. If we haven't already, I think it's time to to take hold of this love that is being offered to us today. To take hold of it and accept it for ourselves once and for all. I think it means coming before God and acknowledging before him, yes, God, I, I am unworthy. I think it means coming before God and asking him to forgive you of your sins. I think it means coming before God and, and thanking him for the cost that Jesus bore on the cross to save you. I think it means taking hold of this wonderful love that he's offering you today. And then, I think it means living the rest of your life in this love, reveling in this love, delighting in this love, and allowing this love to now shape the way that you live and allowing it to shape the way that you love, that you too might now be able to love others with a love that is costly, with a love that is undeserved, with a love that is lavish. Friend, is that what you want this morning? You want to take hold of this love that God is offering to you? If so, good, great, wonderful. In a moment, I'll I'll lead us in a prayer in which, well, you can tell God that for yourself. But just before we do that, there's a short video that I want us to watch, a video which I hope will remind us once again of the great depths of Jesus' love for you that was shown that first Good Friday. Let's watch it now. Let's pray. No love is higher, no love is wider. No love is deeper. No love is truer. No love is like your love, O Lord. Oh, dear God, we want to thank you for that first Good Friday and for Jesus' death on the cross for us. We want to thank you for showing us your love, a costly, undeserved and lavish love that is like no other. Dear God, we pray to you now, admitting our unworthiness and we ask for your forgiveness as we accept this amazing love that you hold out to us today. And now, dear God, we pray that we would continue to revel in your great love for us, enjoying it all our days and allowing it to change us that we might become more and more like you our loving Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.